I'm Arafat and I'm in the UK. And I'm Mohammed and I'm in the US. And you're listening to Slow Pit Stop. Hello and welcome to the Austrian Grand Prix review with Slow Pit Stop. My name is Arafat and as always I'm joined by my co-host Mohammed. Say hi Mohammed. Hi Mohammed. <laughs> so uh, how have you been? How have you been catching the race, not catching the race? Oh, I have such a story about this weekend's race, but I'll wait till we get to the sprint race. It Fine. was, uh, yeah, such a story. So what I'll quickly say to anyone that was celebrating Eid Mubarak, um, it was Eid over the weekend and that sort of uh, interrupted our television watching habits. <laughs> yeah. So I missed uh, qualifying. So you're going to tell me about that. And then um, with the sprint and the race, it's all about, you know, spending time with family and friends. I spent time with your family. Yes. Specifically so, your sister, who was at my house. <laughs> I know, so funny. And so I was going to wait for the sprint race, but I'll say this part of the story now, because I decided to... So you, you spent time with family and, you know, your daughter, your parents, your sisters, my sister. You had a great time. You prioritized the things that matter. I didn't do any of that. I snuck away from the religious festivities uh, to a corner to try and watch the sprint race off in the side. And um, I don't know if you, I don't think you know this, but people who are listening, look this up. This is completely true. This past weekend in Canada, there was no internet for the entire nation of Canada. You know, <laughs> apparently like, <What? laughs> I know, it, I didn't believe, so they told us when we were coming that, so first of all, okay, I had to watch this race in Canada. My mood was already off. I was miserable. But on the way there, there, you know, our my family members were telling me, oh, you know, there's no internet this weekend in Canada. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean there's no internet in Canada? Like the country? So I get, they have like two major network providers that provide internet and like data for them. Like, you know, in America, we have AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile. In the UK, you guys have like Virgin and you have like Vodafone and stuff like that, right? So they have two major like network providers rogers and bell and all of the critical infrastructure of the country apparently runs on rogers and this past weekend rogers was hit by a massive cyber attack and there is no internet in the entire country luckily because i have an american-made phone i can try and switch over to the bell network which was running but everybody was trying to use bell so bell was crashing too so i was not sure if I was even going to be able to watch the race for a while because there was no internet. But luckily, in the end, I did get enough of a signal on my phone that I could watch it. It was very blurry, but I could hear the commentary well enough and I was able to, to see the sprint race. But yeah, it was very touch and go for a moment there. Amazing. Dedication. I think having a kid makes life more hectic because if you'll remember, um, th there's photos of this from my sister's wedding where everybody is yeah. sort of joining in with the wedding and stuff, and I'm sat in the corner on my phone watching the Grand Prix. Um, so I, I know exactly the feelings you're talking about. Yeah. I, I just, you know, this has done nothing to rehabilitate my image of Canada, the fact that uh, an entire country can lose for a weekend. <laughs> but speaking of being, you know, very, very passionate and dedicated to a sport, there was a lot of incidences where things really, really crossed the line. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So why don't you tell us a bit about this story that sort of wove itself in and out of the weekend? So, yeah, we started seeing re uh, reports from people. Well, I think, honestly, for me, the first exposure of it was when the Mercedes crashed in qualifying and the camera cut to the crowd and everybody is, is cheering and, and celebrating. And then kind of like a little bit after that, 
is when people started tweeting that they were getting a lot of abuse for being Mercedes fans. And women especially, even if they weren't Mercedes fans, were getting a lot of abuse for just being women. And there were a lot of drunk fans there, and they were harassing them, and just awful, horrible stories that I wouldn't wish on anyone, especially not on people who just wanted to enjoy themselves for a weekend, uh, you know, at the race, or coming out of this, you know, the Red Bull ring, and it really painted a really negative picture. Yeah, so Formula One released an official statement online which says, we have been made aware of reports that some fans have been subject to completely unacceptable comments by others at the Austrian Grand Prix. And then a little while later on Instagram, Lewis Hamilton put out something that said, disgusted and disappointed to hear that some fans are facing racist, homophobic and generally abusive behaviour. Attending the Austrian Grand Prix should never have been a source of anxiety and pain for fans. So weird, because I feel like on some level, this isn't actually just a Formula One problem. I feel this is a society problem because you you get dodgy behaviour like this in other sports, you know, the football, whatever else, hand egg. Um, you get problems when people go to concerts. I think, I don't know what it is, whether it's the pandemic, cost of living, just general pressure of life at the minute, or the way people view politics through Twitter and things. People are just Mm -hmm. angry and more abusive. And the line is being crossed Mm -hmm. more and more and more. And for whatever reason, there's a group of people that are being attracted to Max Verstappen that I'm sure Red Bull and Max do not want to be their followers. Um, even just for the sake of PR. And I don't know if it's about, you know, the fact that he's young and come and like, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say taking a world championship mm. away from the black yeah. guy, but you know what I mean? And I, it's so hard to understand why that's becoming so prevalent. I mean, you see kids just stood in like Max Verstappen t-shirts and stuff and they're just there to have a good time, you know, they're probably not aware of the wider issues. They're just seeing a guy yeah. from their country or that they really enjoy watching drive. And I get that because when I started watching Formula One, it was for Lewis Hamilton. And I just kind of would casually watch. I wasn't aware of Alonso mm-hmm. and all the other mm-hmm. drama that was going on, you know? So there are a lot of people that be watching like that. But I don't know what it is about this hostile group of fans that has... And you've seen the video of like people burning hats and things. Yeah, so... I mean, I was kind of what I was going to say is I feel like there are a couple levels to this. You have passionate fans, right? And Tafosi, historically passionate. Uh, I feel like Lewis Hamilton fans, historically passionate. Vettel fans, Alonzo fans, historically passionate fans. And I think that's okay. But we saw a couple lines being crossed. One was the harassment of people who are just wearing, you know, the rival team's uh, clothing. And you see this kind of thing sometimes in other sports, like you said. And and somebody said online, uh, a Dutch fan of Max Verstappen said that, you know, right now, sports-wise, our country doesn't have a lot of things that we can root for. And Max Verstappen is the only one out there who's winning races and making us proud. So all of these Dutch, you know, football hooligans who would go to the football games and go crazy and get drunk and be generally horrible are all switching over to Formula One and they're not real fans, but they just come and they watch Max Verstappen because they're excited to watch him win. And I think that's a little bit of what's going on because, yeah, you see the burning the Mercedes hat, for example. Like, that is crazy. Like, that is insane. Like, that looks like something, you know, you'd yeah, see on the news like from some, like, here we have, like, anti-American fanatics burning an American flag. kind. Of, like, it's, it's that level of yeah, yeah, bizarre yeah. to me that they're doing that. And I wonder if some of this is, you know how people behave online? Like if you were, you know, out in a restaurant and you saw, st- you were watching a race 
for example. Like, let's say we were out mm-hmm. with Adam, uh, who's mm-hmm. a Red Bull fan. You know, we might tease mm-hmm. and whatever, but you'd probably be too embarrassed to, like, cross a line or go too far. You, you know, things yeah. wouldn't go too far. But it's online, it's very easy to abuse people and just walk away yeah, with no but this consequences. this isn't even online anymore. And are people now thinking, no, but that's the thing. Have people been behaving like that online for mm-hmm. such a long time that they now think it's okay to just behave like that in person as well? And speaking of online... Um, one of my favorite Twitter takes was a guy called uh, Jay LeClaire. He commented on someone else who was sort of walking around videoing the track being like, oh, look, everything is fine. I don't know what people are talking about. And this guy, Jay LeClaire, said, oh, a middle-aged white guy isn't being catcalled or called racial slurs. I'm shocked, I tell yeah, you. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's like... As if it's something that you're just going to capture on your phone. Like, look, racism is happening and capture it on your phone casually walking. Like, yeah. Like a pretty flower or something. Yeah. So we were talking about the booing last week, and I thought it was okay in that context because you're booing someone who is the world champion in a context where he's not at harm. You know, he's just giving an interview. And I think that's okay. But this is, I think, was definitely clearly crossing a line. And I agree with uh, Vettel, who says these people should get lifetime bans. And yeah, I, I just, I really hope it's not. I don't even think this is a drive to survive effect. This is this is not from drive to survive. Yeah. This is something else. No, no, I think this is a wider mm-hmm. problem. But and the thing about cheering, like I know that feeling. So you and I, you know, when Perez uh, in the opening race of the year, when he like spun yeah, out and Max Verstappen's cut. Like, we were like, oh, and it's like a sporting moment. Like, yeah. you, you stand up from your seat and you're like, oh, what's happening? And even this race, we'll get into it in a bit, but when a sign started slowing down, in my head, I thought, oh, Lewis is going to get yeah. a podium. I yeah. stood up and I was like, oh, something's happening. Yeah. And then when I saw fire, my emotions exactly. went completely exactly. the other way. And I was so scared. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the fact that that initial excitement, people are continuing with that yeah. past the point where it's, not funny anymore there's one more thing i want to add which is if any red bull fans do listen to us and they say that well you know silverstone fans uh they cheered when verstappen crashed i've seen enough angles now last year i've seen enough angles now to know that everybody was cheering when the two cars turned the corner and then pretty much immediately when they saw verstappen was in the wall people stopped cheering and nobody cheered until he was out of the car and then they cheered him when he was okay so I just yeah. want to make that distinction, although I don't think... Yeah, and I'm sure there will be terrible mm-hmm. people out there who support Lewis Hamilton that did cheer when he yeah. hit a wall. And, you know, we do not support those people or condone their behavior in any way. I'll put a hypothetical to you. I saw a tweet by Athena, who goes by at Tarmac Torque, which was, RBR Academy driver says N-word. RBR condemn, but keep him. PK's racist. RBR say nada. MV defends PK's racism. Get to the Red Bull ring. Orange fans are racist and bigoted uh, to other fans. There's a common denominator. Let's say you're high up in Red Bull. You know, you're Christian Horner or you're not Helmut Marko, but, you know, Dietrich Mateschitz or something. This is probably a problem that you didn't invite that for whatever reason, you know, you've, you've got a lot of genuine fans who are impressed by Adrian Newey's engineering, Max Verstappen's driving, but there's an ugly cohort that has tagged along. How would you, like, let's say, Mohammed, you're in charge of Red Bull. How how would you deal with that? I, I'm not sure. Oh, I'm in charge uh, of to Red me Bull. It feels like. Oh, yeah, I'm like, how in do you, charge how, of Red Bull. Or let's say you're you're in charge of Mercedes, <laughs> okay. right? For and bizarrely, like, let's say we hire a driver, yeah. and for whatever reason, that driver is attracting an ugly side of fandom. Mm-hmm. 
how how do you how would you deal with that? Yeah, so I think it's important that to have as a team and even the driver to put up very strong statements saying that they're not just very all, always distancing themselves from it and being like those aren't real fans, you know, using harsh terminology that if they were to see it they'd be like, "Hey, what the heck? Like, why are you turning on us?" you know. And I, I think if you say things like that or, or just acting in a way that is against the way those people believe, just, you know, from an American politics point of view, Donald Trump, he, you know, would do this. He attracted some people who were his followers said, you know, we're just Republicans. Then you had all these racists and other people who were following him who are not just Republicans. But the only thing he ever did to make them distance themselves from him was by, you know, like trying to enact gun control and things like that, which go against Republican ideals. That was the only time, or when he was like a little bit more pro-war, that was the only time that some of these Republicans were like, you know what, we don't like him. So it's it's action, basically. It's when you start acting in a way and saying things in a way, those people are then going to gravitate away from you because they're going to be like, you know what, he doesn't think the same way we do. Um, and I think that's what it has to be. If I was in charge of Red Bull, I would ensure that the security at the Red Bull ring hands out lifetime bans. I think that's a very strong statement. And to know it came from the team itself, that the team pushed for it, I think would make a big, big statement and, and keep these people away. Yeah, I think so. I think that's step one. And then the other thing that I would do in step two is, you know, you see a lot of shots of like, you know, Vettel was hanging out with Leclerc and all these teams hang out with other teams and like congratulate people. And I, I can't remember when it was, some team won. And like other teams started ha- giving them bottles of champagne. I think it was when either Alpine won with Ocon or AlphaTauri won with Gasly. Yeah. But other teams were going and congratulating us. And, you know, I think you want your team not only to be condemning these things, because like you said, it's easy to just put out a Twitter statement or whatever. You want to be going out and saying, these are our values and ideals. This is our example. Look at us standing up for fans in the crowd look at us getting on with other teams and all this kind of stuff so that your values look completely different to that proportion of fans that you don't want following yeah and Verstappen said last week I want to see action I don't want to put out statements so here's my challenge to him you know put your money where your mouth where your mouth is you know do the action that you're talking about if you don't want to put a statement out great but put the you know do the action you know now's the time Right, so qualifying. I got a text from you. Was it qualifying? Where was I? No, I wasn't. I can't remember what I was doing. Was I at work? <laughs> no, I wasn't. What was the text? Wherever I was, I got a text from you that said, disappointing. Mm. And I thought, oh, Lewis has finished like P6, P7, something <laughs> like that. And then I opened up Sky News on my phone. That was it. I was in the toilet. I opened up Sky News on my phone and I just saw a picture of Lewis in the wall. And I thought, oh my God, what's happened? It's so much worse. <laughs> so much worse. And honestly, I was just grateful after seeing that photo that he'd got through to yeah. P3. And this wasn't some sort of charge from 20th place that I was having to watch. <laughs> no, here is why it was disappointing. He was doing so well. Like, like. Yeah, consistently P two. He would have been like you know people like oh, people like Alonzo will say oh I should have been on pole oh blah blah blah. No, he was I think really looking at a P two maybe P three performance, which was a big deal because this was Austria where he's not supposed to do well at all. I was expecting you know P eight on merit, and so it was like the most disappointing thing, and you know you're watching it and they were on Lewis and then they cut to Russell. And then you see a yellow flag and nobody else is there. 
And I just knew it was going to be Lewis. And then they were like, oh, it's Lewis Hamilton. And I thought maybe he's just gone into the gravel. But then they cut and he's in the wall. And I just couldn't believe it. And then a few minutes later, Russell did the same thing. It was just the most heartbreaking thing. And I, I can't believe it. Shall we get into the race? The sprint then? race. Those are the sprint. So, okay. Here, here is, is the part two of my sprint race story. So you were off. Go for it. Tell me all about the sprint. <laughs> yeah. You were off. I was, I, yeah, it was on the TV and your sister was there. And then I think I chased after my daughter. I know. And you were, you know, spending time with family and, and my family. And I decided not to, I decided to sneak away from the, you know, religious festivities and watch it in the corner. But I was watching it, uh, actually, actually on my laptop and, like this gaggle of children kind of snooped over my my shoulder. You know how kids do that, right? They'll just like find if you're on the screen, they'll they'll somehow they're attracted to it, like you know moths to a light. So they came to me and they're like, "What are you watching?" And I was like, "Ah, oh, it's the race." And they're like, "Oh, cool. What's going on?" And it was at the point where Lewis Hamilton couldn't get around Mick Schumacher. So I was like, you know, trying to concentrate. I was like, oh, okay, that's my guy. That's Lewis Hamilton. That's the two cars he's trying to get around. And they're like, okay, but then. They got so invested into it, this gaggle of, like, six to seven young children. They were like, oh, every time Lewis would try to get around it, they'd be like, oh, oh. And then finally, when he did get around it, they're all, like, shouted out, like, woo! And, like, they're all, like, celebrating. And then the parents were like, what's going on? And then they were like, Lewis Hamilton won the race! And I was like, not exactly, but yeah, that's what it feels like. <laughs> He's just passed a, a Haas for P7, but yes, he has won the So I converted this gaggle of six to seven children into Team LH, uh, which I feel very proud of. Nice. But in terms of actual sprint, I... I don't know. I don't know what the point of these sprint races are. I mean, this is a track with good overtaking opportunities. The cars can follow. And yet, other than Lewis Hamilton trying to get around Mick Schumacher for 50 billion laps and failing to do so because of the DRS, I don't really think much happened. Verstappen kept a really good lead in the beginning because the two Ferraris were fighting. And probably the most important thing that came out of it was uh, Charles Leclerc making very, saying very clearly that Tomorrow, Mattia Bonato has to pick a number one driver. Otherwise, they will not win the race. Um, and I think, you know, that was pretty much the most significant thing that came out of this sprint race. Me converting some kits to Team LH. And yeah, Charles Leclerc's statement. And then the next day, we moved on to the race. Yeah. Which was actually a really good race. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was a really good race. Um, you know, so, okay, in, one of the things, the Red Bull was so strong in qualifying. They were so strong in the sprint race. I genuinely thought they were going to run away with it in the race, but no, I mean, Charles Leclerc's race pace was incredible. Yeah. And I think now, I mean, okay, so here's my question for you. We've been asking for a long time, is Mercedes back? <laughs> my question is, is Ferrari back? Yeah, I think on one level, it feels really harsh on signs. Because everyone's like, oh, Ferrari's back now. But it's like, well, they won the last race as well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think Ferrari put on a really good performance because although they were in P2 and 3, as the race went on, Verstappen just didn't have the tires. Yeah. So he was passed by Leclerc and passed by Sainz. And he tried to do this offset of tire strategy and the Ferraris went much, much longer. And it looked like, oh, are they going for one stop? And then eventually it was like, no, actually, because if they pit... Verstappen's going to be out mm -hmm. anyway so then they went up I think everybody did a two or three stop no one no one out there managed a one stop but um yeah I think Red Bull just didn't have an answer because whether they did one stop or two stop or if they'd gone to three stops or whatever Leclerc kept having the pace to just come and make these clinical moves yeah 
around Verstappen. And I think what happened was it rained so heavily in the morning and it washed out all the grip on the track. So the track was cooler, which benefited Ferrari because they had less tire deg. But the Red Bull had such high tire deg that they had to pit Verstappen over and over and over again in order to just make it to the end of the race. But what I'm very impressed with Ferrari about is that they got their strategy really, really right this week, and they were thinking on their toes. Yeah, and they were aggressive on it. It wasn't reactive. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, oh my God, Red Bull's done this. What should we do? They were like, no, no, we're going to stick to our guns. We're going to be aggressive. And yeah, I I want Sainz to win more. I like Sainz, but he, uh, yeah, you feel like (laughs) Ferrari have got their head around the idea that if they're going to go for this championship, they need to have Leclerc's number one. And that was the other thing that really impressed me is that I think it was, you know, part, there's two things that played into it. One, Mattia Bonato came in and I think he actually was like, yeah, we have to favor Charles Leclerc at this point. And two, George Russell had a little uh, fight with Carlos Sainz right in the beginning and Carlos Sainz went wide. By the time he rejoined the track, he was like three or four seconds behind Leclerc and Leclerc was within Verstappen's DRS. That was very that was a significant point because now they didn't need to invent an excuse to play team orders. They could just say that nope, look, Leclerc is the one fighting at this point. But even later in the race, yeah. when when they pit Leclerc and then it looked like Sainz was in the lead, I thought, oh my god, there's going to be an issue. But nope, they boxed Sainz to get him out of the way. They're doing everything yeah. right. They kept them on the same strategy. They didn't go count opposite strategies like one of the cars on a one stop, one on a two stop. They did the same strategy. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, sometimes historically teams have had this sort of thing with team orders that, you know, whoever's ahead at the end of lap one or after turn one or whatever, you're going to be the lead driver for the yeah. race. Yeah. That kind yeah. of thing. Um, so, like you said, because Leclerc was ahead. But we need to talk about signs being on fire. I feel like I've had to hold back so much about, you know, making a pun or something about Ferrari being on fire. That was going to be the name of the episode, um, should it not be? <laughs> I know, that's what I thought. It was like, this is an obvious title for the episode. But when it happened, when he started slowing, I was like, oh, what's happening? Because I wanted to see him, like, fight yeah. with Verstappen and stuff. And if Leclerc's going to challenge for this championship, he needs signs to take more points off yeah. Verstappen. So initially, I was like, oh, no. And then I was like, oh, wait, Lewis is going to yeah. get a podium. <laughs> and then you saw him go up that hill. And I was like, oh, he can't break because he's rolling backwards. And then he'd like break. And then like he'd try to get out and he'd roll backwards a bit more. And then his car was on fire. And later in the recap, you see the explosion where the engine just like yeah. destroys itself and bursts out the side of the car. And it was as the fire was happening, every time he tried to climb out, the car was rolling yeah. away. And so he'd go back inside to break and stuff. And then I, I got really panicked. I was like, what is happening? This is really worrying. And the TV crew cut away from it, which... You can you can understand why because they're like, if this goes wrong, we can't be showing it live on TV. But at the same time, I think that just added to the anxiety mm-hmm. of the situation. I was like, oh my god, please show he's okay. Please show he's okay. Please show. And then when they did show that he was okay, I was like, ah, yeah. oh, thank goodness. Well, so like the guy, the marshal came out and he had like the what is it, what is it called like a, a chalk or something. What is the 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 chunk oh the little thing that they put behind the tree the, yeah the, the little tire, tire, block. tire block but there's yeah. a word for it. it starts with a c i can't remember but anyway uh he had one of those things with him and he got it wrong the first time he like put it underneath the tire but the tire was misaligned so he was able to get it the second time but yeah it was really scary and that fire spread very quickly from his engine down his bodywork. so it was nice to see signs out of the car and it is just so frustrating that when ferrari gets the strategy right they get the team orders right but then the car fails them so it's just these things that they have to put together if they're going to, you know, challenge Verstappen for, uh, you know, the title. And there was a tweet that 
I thought was so funny that, you know, Adam shared with us in our group chat. He said, <laughs> for, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fan account called Ferrari News, and they're like, <laughs> this was back in uh, last race. While we are so happy for Carlos to win his first ever race, we are gutted for Charles. And then this time when Charles went, it's like, hey guys, we're back! All caps, emojis, like, <laughs> celebrations. So I think that kind of... <laughs> exactly. It, it, yeah. But how tense were the last few laps oh. with Leclerc? With it, And he was like, my throttle's not working. And then he's like, you need to pull it back. And then he's like, why can I not change down gears? And it's like, well, because your throttle's not coming up, so you're revving too yeah. high. And, you know... Verstappen was getting closer and closer and closer and actually it turned what could have just been a quiet end to the mm -hmm. race to something really yeah. really tense it reminded me a lot of Silverstone 2020 when Lewis's tire popped and it was kind of a boring race until then and then his tire popped and all of a sudden Verstappen is closing the gap yeah. so quickly <laughs> and that was one lap this was like yeah. five six laps we had to watch Leclerc like yeah. this and I was like oh this is really tense and then it was funny because Leclerc is like my throttle's not working and then the team is like your throttle's fine and he comes back and is like no I'm pretty sure it's not fine it's definitely check your notes again and then they come back they're like oh yeah it's uh stuck at 20 percent <laughs> he's like I know it is so yeah I, it's so funny for when the team doesn't believe the driver because that happened a couple times I think it happened with Perez too where he's like losing power and then the team was like no you're fine he's like no I'm I'm definitely losing power I can feel myself losing power <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm waiting for the Red Bull side of reliability to strike back we've had a couple races of Ferrari you know being unreliable where's the Red Bull one yeah. we started with that let's get back to some Red Bull DNFs well, George Russell is doing his best to help with that. <laughs> this is this is the epic. This is how you know he has taken Valtteri Bottas's place in the team. He crashed into Perez, sent him to the back of the grid with damage that caused him to retire and still finished P4. That is a good second driver right there. <laughs> <laughs> so you said the other thing you want to talk about today is Mick Schumacher. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't know. I, people were so happy. It's like the top Reddit post of all time that Mick finished P6. And I think people think he's entering his villain phase because he was very angry at his team for not issuing team orders in the sprint race to put him ahead of Magnussen. But it was only through Magnussen's DRS that he was able to stay ahead of Hamilton. So that's obviously why. Yeah. But yeah, two point finishes in a row. Maybe he's not going to row. lose his seat. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, I, for him, what you'd hope is because... We talked about before how he always needed like a warm-up year. So when he did Formula 3, he needed a year to like understand it and then the next year he was competitive. Formula 2, he needed a little a year to understand it and the next year he was competitive. Now he's been here for like a year and a half. Maybe he's getting the hang of it. Maybe his confidence is up. And maybe this is the beginning of him starting to be more more competitive. So what was the... I forgot what it was supposed to be. Piastri was going to take Schumacher's spot and that allowed... Alpine to to sign Alonso or was it Latifi? Who's whose whose seat was gonna be lost? Oh yeah, so I, it's been flip flopping backwards and forwards, and then there was some chat about Alfa Romeo as well. Uh, um, so I suspect Latifi. It's more likely to be Latifi because then, if Williams wanted, they can make a uh, an engine deal as mm -hmm. well with Renault. Yes, yes. And this week also, Zach Brown said he's going to keep Daniel Ricciardo next year. But he said he wants him performing at Lando's level, which led to something really funny because he said, I want him winning races. I want him performing at Lando's level. <laughs> and everybody responded, do you want him winning races or do you want him performing at Lando's level? Which I felt like was oh, a little harsh. unnecessarily harsh. That's so harsh. Lando Norris. <laughs> 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 yeah, I agree. 
But uh, yeah, so that's it would be interesting if Daniel Ricardo stays for another year because we did like a whole episode about yeah. why he won't. <laughs> Real quick, though, I want to talk to you about Perez getting his lap times deleted in quality because we skipped over that. Mm-hmm. Here's the the question: If his lap times were deleted, but he was allowed to go into Q3, should he be in Q3 P10? Why should he have been dropped back down? Do you think there was fair of race control to put him in P13? Not race control or whatever you know the stewards. Yeah, because P13 is where he would have been on his best Q2 lap, isn't it? Yeah, but, you know, had he been told in the moment that uh, his lap was deleted, he could have put another one in maybe and performed better. Oh, yeah. So the the rule is logical. What has happened to him and his, his demotion is logical. What's rubbish is the fact that you we're now supposed to have this, like, off-site race control and all this data and live timing and it still takes them four years to come to a decision um, yeah <laughs> yeah so they should have done better yeah. um because it's unfair on drivers to receive penalty like sebastian vettel he didn't know about his penalty for going off the track until sky news told him yeah. about it they were interviewing him and they're like what do you think about this penalty it's like i can't got a penalty i got three warnings and then they give you a black and white flag and then you should get penalty. And I never got a black and white flag. And they're like, well, it says you got a penalty. And he stood there looking like some sort of chimney sweep. Did you see yeah. his face? <laughs> All covered in like black soot. I was like, what's happened here? And he said it's the way the brake ducts are now. They're like blowing carbon dust into the oh, driver's faces. So I was like, great. So they're just trying to give every driver lung cancer as well on top of broken spines. Um, Herniated discs. <laughs> but I saw a story in Autosport yeah. that said the FIA is now going to look into it and try and blow the carbon dust onto, I don't know, baby lambs instead <laughs> so that the drivers are protected. Uh, poor Sebastian. He also stormed out of the G of the, the driver's briefing. Um, yes. Which, you know, okay, I asked you. So that was a big deal. I asked you last week, has it always been like this with the inconsistency? And you said yes. Clearly, Sebastian agrees because he stormed out because he said, we've been having the same discussions for 15 years about consistency and pushing track off track and penalties and nothing ever changes. I cannot believe that they are allowed to give penalties for drivers acting, you know, quote unquote, unprofessional. That is so stupid. That is so toxic. There's there's so many tiny weird rules like about what type of hat you can wear and at what time and um, when you can wear your watch and who can hand you your watch <laughs> yeah. so that you can wear it. Like all three drivers yeah. um, that were on the podium were given a suspended fine. like financial penalty yeah. fine yeah, for their physios coming into the cool down room before they were allowed to. There's all sorts of bizarre little rules, but there was quite a long and eloquent statement from George Russell about the drivers feeling frustrated that the rules are not consistent, um, whether it's with track limits or this or that. And they're like, you know, we don't want to see lots and lots of penalties, which is what happened mm-hmm. this race. Um, all we want is consistency. And he said one of the problems is, you know, you come away from Silverstone and normally at this race you would discuss and say, I didn't like that thing at Silverstone, why did that happen? Why is the rule like this or whatever else? And the race director can explain themselves and say, well, the reason I gave you a penalty last weekend was because blah, 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 blah. But here what's happening is the race director is a different person, um, which in theory, I I didn't think it would be this much of a problem. But yeah, so they're like, this is inconsistent. So you want to complain about something and the race director is like, I don't know, it was the other guy. 
and then worse than that they're like well it wasn't us it was the stewards and they're like okay let's talk to the stewards and there's like four people that weren't there last weekend as well so it's all just really inconsistent and remember i was saying like when there are penalties it should be obvious to people before the penalty even comes out that a foul has occurred and what the penalty is going to be but right now even the drivers don't know what where the limits are and that's a problem yeah i know it's very frustrating for the drivers but i want to say one thing i did agree with race control's use of penalties this week there was an argument to be made i know brad philpot uh he made the argument online that russell shouldn't have gotten a five second penalty for the incident with Perez, he said it was a racing incident. But I, I think that the track limits stuff, I th- actually think that was fair game. I want to see things yeah. penalized. I know we as fans don't want to see it, but they were being consistent the whole weekend. Like, if they had given, you know, the first half of the race a bunch of track limit penalties, then the second half saying, oh, you know what, it's it's too much, we're going to stop, then I would have been like, that's dumb. But the fact that they are being consistent, I actually really like that, and I... And I, I wouldn't actually change that even though lewis was saying like he was insistent that he didn't go wide but it's good it keeps the drivers you know paying attention to that knowing that race control is watching them speaking of that we asked our fans on twitter and we had a huge response our biggest response yet we asked them how would you enforce track limits if not by five second penalty because penalties are lame and we don't want to see them as fans we will probably Uh, cut some of this out for our Spotify episode but put the entire segment on our uh, extended episode on YouTube because of uh, our holiday Eid we weren't able to put our Silverstone episode out you know usually on time but that was a one-off just because both me and our thought were busy with life we will try to have these episodes out the extended cuts a couple uh, days after the Spotify one goes out or in the Apple podcast one goes out so uh, we're going to read these and if you don't hear your name it's because you're going to be in the extended cut so don't worry the question was, I want, I'm ready to see which of these responses gets the sassiest response out of you. Ooh, I'm saving the best for last. Um, but yeah, okay. <laughs> if not by penalty, how would you enforce track limits? At Dan underscore OTG said, every time you get track limits, every team above you and the constructors gets a point. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. This is what we want. More responses like this. Not sensible answers. This oh sort of my stuff. god! Uh, Jacopo Maria Santarella said, "I would give, I would still give five seconds penalties for track limits, lame. But make a pit lane drive through the standard penalty for causing a collision, and I'd make the teams that cause a collision pay for the damages to the team they collided with. Generally, I'm okay with this. The only thing is, it's so hard to tell who's at fault when you cause a collision. Like I said, some people were saying that the Russell." Every collision would end in court. Yeah. The second you involve money, lawyers yes, will Yes, exactly. Appear. And, you know, Russell and Perez, some people were saying that's a slam dunk penalty. But like I said, Brad Philpott, who is a racing driver, he said he thought it was a racing incident. So you could definitely make an argument either way. Yeah, but even Russell came out and said, look, if you go by the letter of the law, I should get a penalty. I, By the letter of the law, I, I was in the wrong. But I don't think the law... Takes into account... Really yeah. understands the, the physical limits because... I couldn't steer anymore and I was already on the brakes. There was literally nothing more I could do. But technically, by the rules, yes, I should get a penalty, but I don't think the rule fits these cars. If anybody's cars. interested in, you know, kind of going into the technical side of what Arfat just said, there is an excellent video that I watched through the visor. It's Brad Philpott's channel on YouTube. He actually really breaks down why the new rules this year don't make any sense and why it's so hard for drivers to follow them when it comes to overtaking. So I would go to his channel and and watch that because it was very enlightening, at least for myself. Uh, At Tiger and Kitten said, Benny Hill theme at 90 decibels for a full lap. 
They'll be laughing too much to cut a fast laugh. You know what? I like that. Let's do that. Let's blast the Benny Hill song in their ears <laughs> as they're going around. That one would be pretty funny. Uh, at James Minchu said, Joker lap. They have to do a detour round for an old bit of the circuit. A quick detour round at the old Osterreichering would bring <laughs> history and current racing t- together. Um, again, I think stuff like this, they just ignore it. I think you tell the driver and they'd be like, no. Dean Santos said something similar. Long lap penalty, MotoGP style. Uh, Kunle tweets said, cancel DRS for the next lap or give the car behind DRS. See that. Yeah, I think giving the car behind DRS is, is a little bit chaotic. I like that. That is very chaotic. Yeah, don't cancel DRS for the next lap because what if you're not even within a second, right? But if you give the car behind DRS, oof, that's crazy. And I want to I want to see this. I want Formula One to go back to the old Kurz style where drivers have DRS they can use whenever because that is so cool and so fun. Mansi Vermont said, "Operation Game System: Driver violates track limits and it sends an alert or a zap, or a zap to the stewards to inform them that track limits have been violated and they should wake up and delete the t- lap time." Okay, Mansi, but I don't think the issue is that the stewards don't. They were who's getting zapped? I, the, stu- so, yeah, the stewards were asleep. Yeah, the stewards are not asleep. They only realized. No, they only realized Perez went off like ages later in qualifying. But you know what? They solved the yeah, issue. Yeah, and that's why and they woke up the, the race. Exactly. <laughs> in the race, they were <laughs> on it. You crossed the limit, and like twenty seconds later, they were like, "Nope, lap time deleted. Black and white flag. Get the hell out of this entire ring. Go home, Mari. What are you doing?" So, yeah, um, I, I I like that, but I think the driver should get shocked. I think that would be much funnier. Uh, Lynn of Earth said, I'm finding it amusing so far. I'm sure it will get annoying in time, though. Did you see the F2 feature race? The timing board went crazy. I did not see the F2 feature race, but I heard it was really, really, really good. And I almost want to go back and watch it. So if you guys didn't watch the F2 feature race, did you watch it, Arfa? I heard it was excellent. No, I was spending time with friends Lay- and family. Oh, yeah, my family. family. Thank you for spending time with my family because I didn't do that. <laughs> Alan Forkner at Outdoor PR, PR Guy said, Mines... <laughs> Lots and lots of mines. Landmines. <laughs> yeah, let's, I want to watch Death Race. Who is this the same guy that said, I want the marshals <laughs> to run in front of the cars? <laughs> yeah, we, we want Death Race. We want lots and lots of, of death. At Gay Cars said, have a naughty step that drivers who exceeded track limits must sit on for five minutes after the podium ceremony. Sell wet sponges so they can be thrown at them whilst they're out on the naughty step. You know, Gay Cars, that would mean everybody in this race would be on that step and be getting wet sponges thrown at them. I don't know if there's a single driver that didn't get track limits this race. The funniest part of that is every team would have an engineer somewhere having to do the maths (laughs) on... Is this just a faster way? How how much? Like, is it worth getting? They would just accept it. Say, okay, <laughs> yeah. Is it worth getting sponges? Yeah. And the teams would go right. Okay, if you do this and this and this, we'll save fifteen seconds in our race. That's almost a pit stop. We want you to do this, and uh, we're just gonna leave you on the naughty step afterwards. That's fine. <laughs> and the drivers, I don't think the drivers would care if it's a difference between like you know P five and P four, P three. Yeah, yeah I do. I get sponged. At Ezekiel uh, Haig, Easy Theory said, every time they go off the track limits, they need to send an email to Michael Masi with diagrams in the middle of the race. What do you think, Arfat? Absolutely genius. genius. They could do so much on their steering wheel already. I'm sure they could send an email. <laughs> Russell would, he'd, he'd just do all the, he violate track limits all the time because he likes sending emails for fun. Uh, at uh, Idu de Castilla said, grass at a car height distance from the white line. 
not even an additional millimeter. So I think this is probably, I don't know, unless there's a racing car driver who can explain to us why this is a bad idea. If you bring the, the, the grass and the gravel right up to the edge, maybe that is a good idea. So as soon as you go over, you know, you're kind of screwed. Actually, I have, I do have a question though. Cause like the cars are, you can, you can take two wheels off, right? It's just the other two wheels yeah. that have to stay on the track. So in order to get the best yeah. possible lap time, you are supposed to, as a racing driver, bring those two wheels as close to the white line without going over. So how would you measure the grass and the gravel in a way that it doesn't affect the two wheels that are allowed to be off track? Yeah, that's your difficulty, isn't it? Because And, and then you have to start thinking about other racing categories because the circuit isn't just for Formula 1 cars. Yeah, it's for exactly. motorbikes. It'll be yeah. for... You know, they might a world endurance championship. They'll have lots of things there. So it's tricky. You got to you got to, I don't know, find whatever your widest car is and have it at that distance. Um, at Gay Cars also said, have a sticky surface alongside the track that will slow the car down slightly. They've Michael done that Hale. in the past. They've had like special paint ah. that's like either slippy or sticky. Excellent. Actually, I kind of like that. Uh, Michael Haler said, my dad suggested landmines. You only do it once after all. Again, I don't want to see these drivers die. Stephen McGinty said, every time they break track limits, that lap doesn't count. Uh, that's already what it is. Oh, if you go wide six times, you have to do six extra laps. <gasps> oh my God. If you go wide six times, you're already six laps down. Nobody would finish a race. Anthony said, either wet AstroTurf next to the track or gravel. F1 Womble said, reduce the power of the battery or remove DRS. Uh, that's a very common idea. People keep saying that. Broke Pay Driver said, not Broke Pay Driver, amazing name. <laughs> that's a Latifi now. Spikes outside of track limits deflates the driver's tires. Oh, you guys are just, you want the drivers to suffer, don't you? Have to drive in reverse for a lap, said Charlie Tipler. James said, long <laughs> lap penalty. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> that's as good as the drive off track for the entire yeah. next lap. That's pretty funny. James said, long lap penalty like in MotoGP. Dawood said, gravel or grass. Bone said, have Alonzo wave his <laughs> This is good. Have Alonzo wave his finger in your face <laughs> for five minutes. Andre <laughs> Machalek said, put a koi pond on the outside of the track. <gasps> it's the I love gift. this one. It's, oh, it's the one amazing. from Office. It a lot of people will know the U.S. Office is my like favorite TV show. I've watched it thirteen times, and when I saw this response, I was like, "Yes, this guy, this guy deserves a prize." <laughs> Put a koi pond, and it's the gif of Jim letting Michael fall into the koi pond, which is a really badly. I'm looking at this. I don't think I looked at it properly because I've never seen just this gif. But this is a horrible walkway. Can you imagine a pool in the middle of your office, and if you're not paying attention, or if you're walking like three wide, you just fall into the pool? That's horrible. But yes, we should do that in Formula 1. I like it. Mark Lane F1 said, Curbs rise like a wall for the next 15 millimeters, preventing rejoining the track. Nope, no street circuits. Tony K said, For each offense after the initial three, the driver has to take one laxative pill. Ooh, at the start <laughs> of the next race. Some of these people, like Pierre Gasly, who got the first black and white, he's just going to like destroy his GI system by the time but we again, get to France. There will be an engineer whose job it will be to go, <laughs> Okay. How many laxatives will our driver be forced to take? Therefore, how constipated do we need to make our driver before the race so that all these laxatives smooth them out to the middle? Oh my God, Arfa, this every... is how we get hired into yeah. F1. We figure that part out. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mark OC said, put spikes on the curbs. Oh my God, I can't say this guy's name, but I'm going to make an attempt. Breichsluftfahrtsministerium. 
said <laughs> spike strips again <laughs> all that for spike strips ghetto tony 2 chain said the driver has to do the macarena for a full lap uh ratio said instant While puncture <laughs> I, yep well in the car <laughs> engine cut for three seconds driver must box and drive a tuk-tuk for one lap uh excellent idea and i think that's a tuk-tuk in his profile picture i don't know what a tuk-tuk is but i'm guessing that's what that is it's a lisa rickshaw. gh that's a rickshaw Oh, why don't they just call it a rickshaw then? Why do they call it a tuk-tuk? Some places call it tuk-tuk. No. Because that's the noise the engine makes. Tuk-tuk-tuk-tuk-tuk-tuk. That's the sound that my heart makes. Oh my God. Should I get that checked out? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Kieran said, not creative, but how about giving a three-second time penalty? You're right. That is not creative. Um, and a five-second time penalty. Again, we don't want time penalties, Kieran. Coffeehead said, you have to drink a shoey from Daniel's boot for every track limit after black and white flag. Excellent. There you go, Coffeehead. That's the answer we're looking for. And it's funny because I think it was, uh, I forgot who it was. Somebody said they did a shoey with Daniel Ricardo, and they just had the worst sore throat afterwards. So this, And like you said, there will be an engineer and a doctor figuring out how bad can the sore throat get. <laughs> the performance. <laughs> Fraser Marshall said, snipers. But what would they do? Are they just there? I think they're just there. Snipers, just there. A Sacred Heart said, just like MotoGP, take an extra line through a corner. We've explained why the drivers would never go for that. And finally, my favorite one. Let's see if I can find it. Also, uh, it was so popular, it got more likes than our actual tweet, which I'm a little offended about. We got ratioed. We got ratioed. I know, but I don't know. Engine Mode 11, who I just noticed his shirt says fraud on it, which is hilarious. He said, every time someone goes off track, they have to listen to 30 minutes of Dr. Marco doing stand-up comedy. Woo! Engine Mode, I think you win. You deserve to racial us. That is the worst, absolute worst, absolute hilarious thing. My biggest question about that is, so Engine Mode 11, he obviously worked at Red Bull for however many years. (laughs) Has, Has he seen this comedy routine? Is it a real thing? Does he know about it? I think so, because none of, like, if you ask me about Helmut Marco, the last thing I mentioned is his stand-up comedy routine. Maybe It Angel almost seems too random that it has exactly. to come from a small place of truth. My other question is, the drivers like Yuki Tsunoda, who need to sit through his stand-up comedy routine anyway, are they immune to it at this point? Can they just do whatever they want? Because they're like, oh, I've already heard this bit before I can tune it out. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know? I didn't even think about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Unfairly Again, biases. an engineer and a doctor would have to sit and have to work it out. <laughs> they get a, a psychiatrist and a neurologist. Like, how long will it take before this causes permanent brain damage? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we can survive that long. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, wow, thank you a guys. lot of Twitter stories. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, we that is way more than we expected to get. Uh, so, if you didn't hear your name, it'll be on the extended episode. If you did hear your name, excellent. Keep sending us amazing stuff. Please read the prompt so you don't send us boring things. Um, we have our winner of our F1 Fantasy. Arfat, are they getting a track? Yes, they are getting a track. We have another supply from Little Prince 3D. We thought that the the promotion was over. Turns out the people from Little Prince 3D were just getting married and busy. Uh, huh. But they're back uh, with Were they great really getting circuit. married? Yeah. Did we do that? That slow pit stop, get them together? Did we make a couple find love? <gasps> yes. I, I guess, love that. Somehow. I love that. Um, Arfat, I love you, Arfat. <laughs> thanks. I love you too. Um, but you know what I love even more? When people use our discount code slow pit stop at Little Prince 3D on Etsy, you can look below for the link. And actually, pretty soon you're going to see an announcement on our Twitter page about 
an extra special uh, prize for people who buy circuits from Little Prince 3D. So get buying quick and be ready for that announcement. Well, can, I, can I just say what it is? Because I want people to know what they're buying it for. Oh, yeah, go for it. So we are looking for guests to come on and play Donuts and Drivers with us. We're sick of the same old people. I'm sick of Dan Stroll. All he does is ruin my vibe and screw up my races. So we're looking for fans of the show to come on and play Donuts and Drivers with us. The catch is we want you guys to go support our sponsor, Little Prince 3D. Make a purchase. doesn't have to be the most expensive purchase. Buy whatever track you like at whatever color and size you like. And just, you know, we'll announce it on Twitter. You have to follow us. You have to like the post. And you have to DM us proof that you bought the track. Um, and then we will randomly select uh, three. Yeah, we're doing three super fans to come on the show and play Donuts and Drivers with me and Arfat, which I think is going to be really fun. We always have a really fun time playing the game, and we love to have you guys on. So that is going to be... We also have some other stuff coming on down the line with t-shirts. I know I mentioned it last episode. That will be announced a little bit later. But this is what we're doing um, for Donuts and Drivers, and we really hope you guys do join us because we're looking forward to it. Amazing. So... F1 Fantasy, again, another week has gone by where I forgot to change my team, but I'm Excellent. painfully aware that I left it Red Bull heavy. Um, <laughs> so, so who won now? So it was somebody named Kara M from South Africa, and her team name is Don't Get Your Feathers Rustled. Uh, amazing. amazing. <laughs> Kara M, please get in touch on Twitter in our DMs, and we will send you the Austrian circuit. Kara has, I think, the highest. Yeah, I know. Kara, I think, has the highest team points I've seen this uh, uh, season so far. Three hundred and ninety-one. That's a lot. Oh, that is a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of points. Like last week's winning. Oh, Leclerc's turbo driver, and then Verstappen's mega driver. driver. That's how they got so much. I think her Leclerc and Verstappen points together, just those two, is more than what I my team got completely. So she also had Magnussen, Bottas, Alonso, and Ferrari as her team. That is a really good team you put you've put together, um, and uh, it'll be pretty soon for me to bring Lewis Hamilton back into my own team, which I'm very excited about. Kind of a quiet race from everybody else, though. I, I there's probably some fight. I think there's some fights between like Lando and Daniel for team orders. Yeah, no, there was some like great that. midfield stuff. There was one point where like Guan Yu Zhou had four cars behind him, and somehow yeah. they all ended up in front of him. All that midfield fighting was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we were just paying attention to the Ferrari on fire. Wait, so what are we calling this episode if it's not Ferraris on fire? Mm, generic Ferrari on fire pun. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We have some great uh, mid-race content we should be com- putting out in a few weeks, uh, including some more Donuts and Drivers episodes, which are going straight to our YouTube now. Um, we will be back with a full race recap after France. Uh, we will see you all then. Goodbye. Bye. Oh, they're slow. It's a slow pit stop, Coffee. This has been a production for Not That Good Media.